as a clinical psychologist within a community health team, Professor Neil Frude usually sees people with severe and enduring mental illnesses. One in six of the adult population has got a diagnosable mental illness. Of those, 90% of people who receive treatment receive it entirely within primary care. So uh, it's only one in ten, and those, I guess, are the more serious cases who would get referred on. And they would typically be, in the UK, referred on to community mental health teams, and they would be in a sort of middle-sized city. There might be sort of between six and ten of these teams, and they would consist of psychiatrists, clinical psychologists, psychiatric nurses, occupational therapists, social workers, very much a multidisciplinary team. And what would typically happen is that somebody referred would then be seen by one member of the team for an assessment, and then the whole team would get together to discuss this week's assessments and would decide whether they can offer treatment or care and support for the person who's been referred. And in some of those cases, it will be treatment by a psychologist within the team. Working, as I do, within a community mental health team, that's how people actually come to see me and I guess mostly now it tends to be people with what are called severe and enduring mental illnesses very often people with a psychosis uh, with uh, schizophrenia and so on who uh, need this specialist treatment and uh, a need in a sense looking after need monitoring and with medication that's the other thing of course is that almost everybody uh, that I see would actually be taking medication but also receiving psychological help uh, and there's nothing sort of odd about that. It really is the, the usual way of going about things. Typically for many of the standard sort of issue problems I suppose things like health anxiety agoraphobia OCD and so on what would happen would they would be offered between six and ten sessions of treatment which would almost certainly be some form of cognitive behavior therapy and typically this would be effective in substantially reducing the problem if not eliminating it in about two-thirds of Cases. And one of the advantages of CBT over uh, medication is that when the CBT stops, the problem doesn't come back because it's essentially a sort of educational process. It's almost like if you learn French, then even if you don't practice it for a while, you still, in a sense, have it there or it's ready to be relearned very quickly. Whereas what tends to happen with medication, the evidence is that a relapse uh, is something that can happen uh, you know, sometime after stopping taking the medication. I mean, obviously, some people are more suitable for psychological treatment than others. I guess it's often easier to work with people who catch on quickly, who are sort of relatively bright, people who are motivated, because a lot of therapy, psychological therapy, certainly cognitive therapy, involves homework. So you send people off to do various tasks and come back and report how it went. And if you've got somebody who never does their homework, then that can be uh, something that reduces the effectiveness of the treatment. And then there's this other thing, which is called psychological mindedness. And I guess that's something like the ability to think about your own thinking. There are some people who are very 
we call it metacognitive, <laughs> that they're able to think about their own thinking processes. And there are other people who don't seem to, in a sense, recognise that they've got thinking processes. Of course, they do have, but they just don't think about that in the same way because cognitive therapy is largely about thinking about your thinking. So those people, it would be quite difficult to work with. And then, of course, there are people who might be perfectly good to work with with CBT, but when they actually present to you for the first time, they're in such a dreadful state emotionally that they can't concentrate, they can't focus, and really they're not in a suitable state for cognitive therapy then and there. And what you would hope then is that they will calm down, possibly helped by medication, and that they will come back in some week's time when you will be able to engage with them in the sort of relationship and the sort of interaction that would be maximally effective and therapeutic. There are those cases in which, despite all the medication that is available, the various different types of antidepressant medication. And after all the cognitive therapy and so on has been tried, that still the person remains profoundly depressed, maybe dangerously suicidal. And at that stage, then another treatment that is available very often is ECT, and I know people have very, very strong feelings about ECT. It sounds, in many ways, rather a barbaric treatment to put a high voltage through the brain, and we're not absolutely sure why it works. But clearly, in some cases, it really does work. And I have seen people who have been profoundly depressed for many weeks and months who, after a very short series of ECT sessions, have actually been remarkably improved. So it's very much a last resort, but certainly many people believe that there really is a place for ECT as a last resort treatment. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.